Now it's time for part two. Author Paul French reads episode two of four of Strangers on the Prior. So far, stranded formerly in Shanghai in World War Two, a young German Jewish refugee has made it to Macau. Strangers on the Prior, Episode Two. The German consular officer in Shanghai told her, without even looking up at her face, "This passport now is useless." She realized that, as a Jew, she could not renew this passport. She was now stateless, an emigre, a refugee. But she was not without luck. She worked by day as a typist in the Shanghai office of the Argentine Bank of Commerce. There, she met eyes with a customer, a man from Spain, who smiled at her. He came every few days to make a withdrawal, and always tipped his Panama hat to her. He was so well turned out in crisp linens, polished brogues, but was at least fifteen, if not twenty years older than her. He had substantial funds, yet he seemed to have no gainful employment. The tellers called him a playboy, the son of a family who have some relations with Franco, and opted to send their son, who was less keen on the phalangists, to Shanghai for his own safety. They raised their eyebrows when they mentioned that he was a confirmed bachelor. No interest in ever marrying that one. He was outside the bank one day when she finished work. He suggested tea. They went to a Russian emigre-run cafe and drank tea served from a samovar. He came straight to the point. He had made inquiries about her and appreciated her situation. The Nazis were pigs. He suggested a marriage of convenience. It was not an uncommon practice in the international quarters of Shanghai. She obtained a Spanish passport, the passport of a neutral country, and with this and her new husband's help, she managed to procure a letter of transit to Lisbon and a laissez-passer to take ship to Macau. A Portuguese merchant steamer flying a Japanese flag of convenience took her to Macau. The Spanish playboy waved her off from the Bund. Buena suerte on Macau. It was a tramp steamer that made regular trips down the Chinese coast. The passengers were mainly Chinese, the only non-Chinese now being Eurasian, Macanese, or citizens of neutral nations. She was still amazed to consider herself such, with a German first name and a, to her, hopelessly exotic new Spanish surname that stumbled on her tongue each time she tried to say it. The voyage was several days, and apart from meal times, she spent the majority of the voyage on deck. It was early summer; the weather improving as they sailed south towards their destination. The steamer had iron grills to protect the companionway of the engines. These were a precaution against pirates. To hear the more regular passengers, many boats sailing close to the Portuguese colony had been seized. The passengers locked in the cabins, the ship looted, and then set adrift. Chinese passengers were mostly labourers who had taken work in Macau, but dreamt dreams of fantan and opium. An escape from the more austere cities of Japanese-occupied China. They eventually arrived safely. Macau finally appeared as a blur in the blue haze, junks, sampans, a Shanghai of a hundred years ago. Macau, a more calm, tropical port. Eventually, it came closer, and she saw small houses and gardens overlooking a half-moon bay. On a promontory at one end of the town stood a lighthouse, perched above a cluster of stucco buildings. It appeared to her. As she had imagined the Mediterranean rather than the China Seas, 
Customs was a shed, a trestle table, a Portuguese official. Passaporte, por favor. Her passport proffered, not a blink at the name. The official can tell she is no citizen of Spain. Perhaps he sees this every day, with every steamer. Another Jew on an Argentine or Spanish or Portuguese passport. Clearly no matter to him. He speaks in simple Spanish, the language she should of course speak, and which she has fortunately acquired a little of while working in the Argentine Bank of Commerce in Shanghai. Quanto tiempo, Macau? She cannot answer him easily, or truthfully, because she does not know the answer or enough Spanish. So she expresses a wish more than a reality. On the next ship to Lisbon. He smiles through nicotine-stained teeth. Buena certa, signora. Her suitcase briskly checked, a chalk mark made to show it has been approved, and she is through and in Macau. A new sort of freedom. Another temporary haven. From the Porto exterior, a rickshaw along the Praia Grande, and through the European and Chinese quarters. She sees many splendid dwellings, fountains, gardens thick with subtropical plants. Further into the old town, the rickshaw cuts through narrow, tortuous streets, between low houses, small hotels, gilded theatres and gambling houses. Chinese labourers hauling wheelbarrows avoid Christian nuns. Her destination, as much as she really has one, is the Rua do Campo. The Macanese rickshaw man had assumed she would want that address. The girls who look like her, dress like her, arrive like her, all go there. Now she shares a room in the Aurora Portuguesa with two other recently arrived Jewish girls, similarly washed up on the tides of history and hatred in Macau. During the day, between rumours, between cafe stops, she goes to the Biblioteca Pública, in the huge, shimmering white building called the Leal Sanado. She looks at a globe that stands on a sunlit window ledge. She finds Berlin, moves her fingertips slightly to Trieste. A half turn of the globe finds the China coast and Shanghai. Back slightly and down, her finger traces the coastline. Ningpo, Amoy, Canton, Hong Kong, and across to Macau. She hadn't even heard of the islands three months ago, hadn't known they were Portuguese, neutral, miraculous potential stepping stones in the China Sea to somewhere safe. She spins the globe from Macau, almost three-quarters of a full turn to Lisbon, then across the wide Atlantic Ocean to New York. Such a long journey for a young woman, so much of it still to undertake. On Friday evenings, she lingers in the library reading. As a refugee, she can read books, but does not have borrowing privileges. A few older Jewish men, European Ashkenazi and the darker, Arab-looking Sephardics, meet in the reference room. Macau has no synagogue, and these are pious men, believers. If there is no temple, then a house of books seems to them the most appropriate place to congregate. She waits till they finish their prayers and mingles with them. They wander out of the library before it closes. They live in the overcrowded pensions around the main square of the Largo, on the side streets of the Rua do Campo and the Rua de Barca de Lena, in crowded garrets above the shops, paying by the day. They prefer to find a Macanese cafe restaurant that will let them sit late into the evening lingering over one cup of wartime ersatz coffee, perhaps some noodle soup for sustenance, an egg tart maybe. Food is in short supply, coffee non-existent. They say the Portuguese refugees in Dr Lobo's government camps are starving, but these men, these refugees, still have a few patacas to spare. They are happy she joins them. They have daughters, granddaughters, nieces they miss and have no news of, whether they are now in Honku or still back in the old cities of Europe. 
They write letters and post them at the imposing grey central post office on Largo do Sonado. They apply the stamps with their saliva, a row of stamps showing Vasco da Gama's Sao Gabriel, his Armada's flagship, across the right-hand corner of the envelope. They post them to Shanghai in hope, telling their families to follow if they've arrived. They can never be sure they are actually sent anywhere. No replies ever come. They are left with little but more gossip. The Japanese Imperial Army will take Macau next week and put us in a ghetto. The Nazis at the Bella Vista are just waiting for the Japanese to let them take us away. A Red Cross evacuation ship may be allowed to dock at the Baia de Playa Grande and take some refugees to Australia, if they have a British visa. Another ship may take people to Lorenco Marquez, but where is that? She has heard that rumour before and looked it up on the globe in the Biblioteca Pública. Lorenco Marquez is in Portuguese East Africa. The old men say that there is a chance you can get from there to South Africa, British territory where Jews live. South Africa might work. If the ship comes, she will try to get aboard. But what you need if you can hope to board a ship in Africa for England or to enter South Africa is a British entry visa, and only a British embassy or consulate can issue that. It is a faint hope, but a hope nonetheless. She must persuade the British. French was reading part two of his story, Strangers on the Prior. Part three at the same time tomorrow here on The Morning Brew. <laughs>